The following podcast contains advertising. To access an ad-free version of the Lawfare podcast, become a material supporter of Lawfare at patreon.com lawfare. That's patreon.com lawfare. Also, check out Lawfare's other podcast offerings, Rational Security, Chatter, Lawfare No Bull, and The Aftermath. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, this is Lawfare intern Christiana Wayne with a podcast from the Lawfare Archives for July 3rd, 2021. This week, the Trump Organization and its CFO were indicted by a New York grand jury on 15 counts of financial crimes, including scheme to defraud, grand larceny, and tax evasion. The indictments are part of a criminal investigation by the Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance that began in 2018 after Michael Cohen, Trump's former lawyer and former vice president of the Trump Organization, pleaded guilty in the Southern District of New York to campaign finance violation. As listeners will remember, Cohen has had a host of legal troubles in the past few years. In addition to the SDNY conviction, he was indicted for false testimony by the Robert Mueller investigation. He then agreed to testify before the House Oversight Committee in 2019 to provide a full and honest account of his work on behalf of the former president. For today's episode from the archives, I've returned to that February 2019 testimony before the House Oversight Committee so we can all look back on what Cohen says he and the Trump Organization were up to, in his own words. I'm Elena Kagan, and this is the Lawfare Podcast, February 27th, 2019. On Wednesday, Michael Cohen, the former executive vice president of the Trump Organization, former deputy finance chairman of the Republican National Committee, and former personal lawyer to Donald Trump, paid a visit to the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. Cohen accused the president of campaign finance violations after taking office. He alleged that he was present when Roger Stone gave Trump advance notice of the WikiLeaks dump of the hacked DNC emails. And he claimed that the president's statements in a meeting with Jay Sekulow led Cohen to conclude that the president wanted Cohen to make false statements to Congress. So we cut out all the bickering, all the procedural obstructions, and all the rest of the frivolity to leave you with just one hour of lawfare-related testimony that you need to hear. It's the Lawfare Podcast bonus edition, Michael Cohen versus the committee with no bull. I recognize that some of you may doubt and attack me on my credibility. It is for this reason that I have incorporated into this opening statement documents that are irrefutable and demonstrate that the information you will hear is accurate and truthful. I lied to Congress when Mr. Trump stopped negotiating the Moscow Tower project in Russia. I stated that we stopped negotiating in January of 2016. That was false. Our negotiations continued for months later during the campaign. Mr. Trump did not directly tell me to lie to Congress. That's not how he operates. In conversations we had during the campaign, At the same time, I was actively negotiating in Russia for him. He would look me in the eye and tell me there's no Russian business and then go on to lie to the American people by saying the same thing. In his way, he was telling me to lie. There were at least a half a dozen times between the Iowa caucus in January of 2016 and the end of June when he would ask me, how's it going in Russia? Referring to the Moscow Tower project. You need to know that Mr. Trump's personal lawyers reviewed and edited my statement to Congress about the timing 
of the Moscow Tower negotiations before I gave it. So to be clear, Mr. Trump knew of and directed the Trump-Moscow negotiations throughout the campaign and lied about it. And so I lied about it too. Because Mr. Trump had made clear to me, through his personal statements to me, that we both knew to be false, and through his lies to the country, that he wanted me to lie. And he made it clear to me because his personal attorneys reviewed my statement before I gave it to Congress. A lot of people have asked me about whether Mr. Trump knew about the release of the hacked documents, the Democratic National Committee emails, ahead of time. And the answer is yes. As I earlier stated, Mr. Trump knew from Roger Stone in advance about the WikiLeaks drop of emails. In July of 2016, days before the Democratic Convention, I was in Mr. Trump's office when his secretary announced that Roger Stone was on the phone. Mr. Trump put Mr. Stone on the speakerphone. Mr. Stone told Mr. Trump that he had just gotten off the phone with Julian Assange, and that Mr. Assange told Mr. Stone that within a couple of days, there would be a massive dump of emails that would damage Hillary Clinton's campaign. Mr. Trump responded by stating to the effect, wouldn't that be great? I am giving to the committee today three years of Mr. Trump's personal financial statements from 2011, 2012, and 2013, which he gave to Deutsche Bank to inquire about a loan to buy the Buffalo Bills and to Forbes. It was my experience that Mr. Trump inflated his total assets when it served his purposes, such as trying to be listed amongst the wealthiest people in Forbes and deflated his assets to reduce his real estate taxes. I'm sharing with you two newspaper articles side by side that are examples of Mr. Trump inflating and deflating his assets, as I said, to suit his financial interests. As I noted, I'm giving the committee today an article he wrote on and sent to me that reported on an auction of a portrait of Mr. Trump. Mr. Trump directed me to find a straw bidder to purchase a portrait of him that was being auctioned off at an Art Hamptons event. The objective was to ensure that this portrait, which was going to be auctioned last, would go for the highest price of any portrait that afternoon. The portrait was purchased by the fake bidder for $60,000. Mr. Trump directed the Trump Foundation, which is supposed to be a charitable organization, to repay the fake bidder, despite keeping the art for himself. And I'm giving the committee today a copy of the $130,000 wire transfer from me to Ms. Clifford's attorney during the closing days of the presidential campaign that was demanded by Ms. Clifford to maintain her silence about her affair with Mr. Trump. Questions have been raised about whether I know of direct evidence that Mr. Trump or his campaign colluded with Russia. I do not. And I want to be clear, but I have my suspicions. Sometime in the summer of 2017, I read all over the media that there had been a meeting in Trump Tower in June of 2016 involving Don Jr. and others from the campaign with Russians, including a representative of the Russian government, and an email setting up the meeting with the subject line, Dirt on Hillary Clinton. Something clicked in my mind. I remember being in a room with Mr. Trump, probably in early June of 2016, when something peculiar happened. Don Trump Jr. came into the room and walked behind his father's desk, which in and of itself was unusual. People didn't just walk behind Mr. Trump's desk to talk to him. And I recall Don Jr. Leave, leaning over to his father and speaking in a low voice, which I could clearly hear, and saying, the meeting is all set. And I remember Mr. Trump saying, okay, good, let me know. 
Don Jr. would never set up any meeting of significance alone, and certainly not without checking with his father. I also knew that nothing went on in Trump world, especially the campaign, without Mr. Trump's knowledge and approval. So I concluded that Don Jr. was referring to that June 2016 Trump Tower meeting about dirt on Hillary with the Russian representatives when he walked behind his dad's desk that day, and that Mr. Trump knew that was the meeting Don Jr. was talking about when he said, that's good, let me know, and I'm happy to answer the committee's questions. Now, the president has also made numerous statements that turned out to be inaccurate. For example, he said he knew nothing about the hush money payments to Ms. Clifford. And his 2017 financial disclosure form said he never owed money to reimburse you for those payments. Yet, in your testimony, Mr. Cohen, you said that you met with the president in the Oval Office in February of 2017 and discussed his plans to reimburse you for money you paid. You say he told you, and I quote, don't worry, Michael, your January and February reimbursement checks are coming. Is that accurate? And was that in the Oval Office? The statement is accurate, but the discussions regarding the reimbursement occurred long before he became president. Would you explain that? Back in 2017, when, uh, actually I apologize, in 2016, prior to the election, I was contacted by Keith Davidson, who is the attorney, or was the attorney for Ms. Clifford, for Stormy Daniels. And after several rounds of conversations with him about purchasing her life rights for $130,000, what I did each and every time is go straight into Mr. Trump's office and discuss the issue with him. When it was ultimately determined, and this was days before the election, that Mr. Trump was going to pay the $130,000. In the office with me was Alan Weisselberg, the chief financial officer of the Trump Organization. He acknowledged to Alan that he was going to pay the $130,000 and that Alan and I should go back to his office and figure out how to do it. So yes, sir, I stand by the statement that I gave, but there was a history to it. In your testimony, uh, you have you said you bought some some checks. Is that right? You said you bought some checks. Yes, sir. Let me ask you about one of these. Um, this uh, from the Trump Trust that holds the uh, president businesses. Can you tell me who signed uh, this check? I believe that the top signature is Donald Trump Jr. And the bottom signature, I believe, is Alan Weisselberg's. And can you tell me the date of that check? March 17th of 2017. Now, wait, wait a minute. Hold up. The date on the check is after President Trump held his big press conference claiming that he gave up control of his businesses. How could the president have arranged for you to get this check if he was supposedly playing no role in his business? Because the payments were designed to be paid over the course of 12 months, and it was declared to be a retainer for services um, that would be provided for the year of 2017. Was there a retainer agreement? There is no retainer agreement. Would Don Jr. or Mr. Weisselberg have more information about that? Mr. Weisselberg, for sure, about the entire discussions and negotiations prior to the election, and Don Jr. would have cursory information. Now, here's another one. 
This, this one appears to be signed by Donald Trump himself. Is that his signature? That is Donald Trump's signature. So let me make sure I understand. Donald Trump wrote you a check out of his personal account while he was serving as president of the United States of America to reimburse you for hush money payments to Ms. Clifford. Is that what you are telling the American people today? Yes, Mr. Chairman. One final question. The president claimed he knew nothing about these payments. His ethics filing said he owed nothing to you. Based on your conversations with him, is there any doubt in your mind that President Trump knew exactly what he was paying for? There is no doubt in my mind, and I truly believe there is no doubt in the mind of the people of the United States of America. Mr. Washington Schultz. Mr. Cohen, is it your testimony that Mr. Trump had advanced knowledge of the Russia WikiLeaks release of the DNC's emails? It's, um, it's a, I, can't, I cannot answer that in a yes or no. He had advanced notice that there was going to be a dump of emails, but at no time did I hear the specificity of what those emails were going to be. But you do testify today that he had advanced knowledge of their, of their intim, imminent release. That, that is what I had stated that, in my testimony. And that he cheered that outcome? Yes, ma'am. Did Mr. Trump likely share this information with his daughter Ivanka, son Don Jr., or Jared Kushner? I'm not aware of that. Was Ivanka, Jared, or Don Jr. still involved in the, in the Russian Tower deal at that time? The company was involved in the deal, which meant that the family was involved in the deal. If Mr. Trump and his daughter Ivanka and son Donald Jr. are involved in the, rump, in the, in the Russian Trump Tower deal, is it possible the whole family is conf conflicted or compromised with a foreign adversary in the months before the election? Yes. Based on your experience with the president and knowledge of his relationship with Mr. Stone, do you have reason to believe that the president explicitly or implicitly authorized Mr. Stone to make contact with WikiLeaks and to indicate the campaign's interest in the strategic release of these illegally hacked materials? I'm not aware of that. Was Mr. Stone a free agent reporting back to the president what he had done, or was he an agent of the campaign acting on behalf of the president and with his apparent authority? No, he was a free agent. A free agent that was reporting back to the president what he had done? Correct. He frequently reached out to Mr. Trump, and Mr. Trump was very happy to take his calls. It was free service. Hmm. Roger Stone says he never spoke with Mr. Trump about WikiLeaks. How can we corroborate what you are saying? I don't know, but I suspect that the special counsel's office and other um, government agencies have the information that you're seeking. Moving on to a little later in 2016, a major WikiLeaks dump happens hours after the Access Hollywood tape is released. Do you believe or are you aware of Mr. Trump coordinating or signaling for this email dump? I am unaware of that. I actually was not even in the country at the time of the Billy Bush um, tape. I was in London visiting my daughter. Knowing how Mr. Trump operates with his winning-at-all-costs mentality, do you believe that he would cooperate or collude with a foreign power to win the presidency? Is he capable of that? Calls on so much speculation, ma'am. It would be unfair for me to. I understand, but you have a that. tremendous amount of experience. Mr. Trump today. is all about winning, and, and he will your, do what is necessary and in your which to opinion win. and experience. Would he have the potential to cooperate or collude with a foreign power to win the presidency at all costs? Yes. Based on what you know, would Mr. Trump? Or did he lie about colluding and coordinating with the Russians at any point during the campaign? So as I stated in my testimony, um, I wouldn't use the word colluding. Um, was there something odd about the back and forth praise with President Putin? Yes. 
but I'm not really sure that I can answer that question um, in terms of collusion. I was not part of the campaign. Um, I don't know the other conversations that Mr. Trump had with other individuals. There's just so many dots that all seem to lead to the same direction. And finally, before my time expires, Mr. Cohen, the campaign and the entire Trump organization appeared to be filthy with Russian contact. There are Russian business contacts. There are campaign Russia, Russian contacts. There are lies about all of those contacts. And then we have Roger Stone informing the president just before the Democratic National Convention that, these, that WikiLeaks was going to drop documents in the public arena that we knew at that point were hacked and stolen by Russia from the Democratic National Committee. The gentle lady's time has expired. You may answer her inquiry. My, my question is, Quickly. given all those connections, is it likely that Donald Trump was fully aware and had every intent of working with Russia to help make sure that he could win the presidency at all costs? So let, let me say that this is a matter that's currently being handled by the House Select and the Senate Select Intelligence Committees, and so I would rather not answer that sp specific question other than just to tell you that Mr. Trump's desire to win would f have him work with anyone. And one other thing that I had said uh, in my statement is that when it came to the Trump Tower Moscow um, project, it was worth hundreds of millions of dollars, and we never expected to win the election. So this was just business as usual. Mr. Chairman, I'd like to yield the remaining of my time to uh, the, the ranking member. Mr. Cohen, how many times did you talk to the special counsel's office? Seven. Um, did they talk to you at all in preparation for today's hearing between the seven times you talked to them prior to your sentencing? Uh, have you had any conversations with the special counsel's office between sentencing and today? I'm sorry, sorry, I don't understand your question. You talked to him seven times. That's in the sentencing uh, uh, memorandums that were in front of the court back in December. What I'm asking is have, how many times have you talked to the special counsel's office since then uh, up to today's appearance here in Congress? The gentleman's time has expired. You may answer the question now. That one question. I, I'm sorry. I don't have the answer to that. Mr. Maloney. How many, how many times did the president, Michael, uh, ask you or direct you to try to reach settlements with women in 2015 and 2016. Yeah, I'm sorry, ma'am. I don't, I don't have the answer to that. I'd have to go back and try to recollect. It's certainly the two that we know about. And uh, why, why do you think the president did not provide the accurate information in his 2017 uh, financial disclosure form? What was he... Uh, trying to hide. He corrected other forms, but he didn't correct this one. The payments on the reimbursement of the funds that I extended on his behalf. Uh, can you elaborate more? Well, going back into the story, as I stated, when we, Alan Weisselberg and I left the office and we went to his office in order to make the determination on how the money was going to be wired to the IOLA, the interest on a lawyer's account uh, for Keith Davidson in California, I had asked Alan to use his money, didn't want to use mine, and he said he couldn't, and we then decided um, how else we can do it. And he asked me whether or not I know anybody who wants to have a party at one of his clubs that could pay me instead, or somebody who may have wanted to become a member of one of the golf clubs. And I also don't have anybody that was interested in that. And it got to the point where it was down to the wire. It was either we, somebody wire the funds and purchase the life rights to the story from Miss Clifford, or it was going to end up being sold to television, and that would have embarrassed the president, and it would have interfered with the election. 
But the president has never amended his 2017 form uh, to this day. And while you're facing the consequences of going to jail, he is not. Well, I believe that they amended a financial disclosure form, and there's a footnote somewhere buried. Um, I don't recall specifically what it says, but there is a footnote buried somewhere. Can you describe, Michael, to the American people, catch and kill? So catch and kill is a method that exists when you're working with a news outlet. In this specific case, it was AMI, National Enquirer, David Pecker, Dylan Howard, and others, where they would contact me or Mr. Trump or someone and state that there's a story that's percolating out there that you may be interested in. And then what you do is you contact that individual and you purchase the rights to that story from them. And, and you practice this for the president? I was involved in several of these um, catch and kill episodes, but these catch and kill scenarios existed between David Pecker and Mr. Trump long before I started working for him in 2007. Michael, can you suggest who else this committee should talk to for additional information on this or anything else? Yes, I believe David Pecker, Dylan Howard, um, Barry Levine of AMI as well, um, Alan Weisselberg, Alan Garten of the Trump Organization as well. Mr. Lynch, I want to ask you, uh, in your filing with the special counsel Mueller's office, uh, the prosecutors wrote, and I quote, Mr. Cohen discussed the status of pro and progress of the Moscow project with individual one on more than the three occasions Mr. Cohen claimed to the committee. And he briefed family members of individual one with the company about the project. Uh, I know this is redundant, but Mr. Cohen, uh, who are we referring to here when we refer to individual one? Donald J. Trump. Okay. And the company? The Trump Organization. Okay. Uh, through, a who, through a subsidiary. Okay. Uh, and who were the family members that you briefed on the Trump Tower Moscow project? Don Trump Jr. and Ivanka Trump. Okay. Now, were these in the regular course of business, or, or did the president or family request the briefings? This is in the regular course of business. Do you recall, uh, there's a question on the number of briefings. Do you recall how many there might have been? I'm sorry, sir? Do you recall how many of these briefings there might have been? Approximately 10 okay. in total. All right. In your written remarks, you also wrote, and I quote, there were at least a half dozen times between the Iowa caucus in January 2016 and the end of June when Mr. Trump would ask me, how's it going in Russia, referring to the Russia-Moscow uh, Tower project. Now, how did the president communicate those questions to you? Was it verbally or on the phone? Verbally, most of the time, uh, or virtually all of the time, it would... So he would say to me, Michael, come walk with me. He was heading to, let's say, a rally to a car, and as I would walk him to the elevator, he would ask me questions quickly regarding a series of Could there be any issues. doubt about what he was referring to in terms of the project in Russia? No, this would be it. Okay. Uh, Otherwise, there would have been no reason to ask it of me. Right, right. Uh, you also wrote, and I quote, uh, to be clear, Mr. Trump knew of and directed the Trump-Moscow negotiations throughout the campaign and lied about it, close quote. Uh, how, did, how did the president actually direct the negotiations? After what, each, what details did he direct? Well, after each communication that I had, I would report back to him. And our goal was to get this project. We were interested in building what would have been the largest building in all of Europe. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Life is full of what ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some, well, less awesome. 
Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Bro. Daddy, you to the gentleman from Arizona. Now, are you familiar with Rule 35 of the Federal Rules and Criminal Proce- Procedures? I am now. Oh. Hmm. So the committee understands that you've been in contact with the Southern District of New York. Is that true? I am in constant contact with the Southern District of New York regarding ongoing investigations. And part of that application is to reduce sentencing time, is it not? Yes. There is a possibility. Yes. The answer is yes. No, it's not, sir. Yes, it is. Okay. It's not. And so testimony here could actually help you out in getting your sentence lessened. Isn't that true? I'm not really sure how my appearance here today is providing substantial information that the Southern District can use for the creation of a case. Now, if there is something that this group can do for me, I would gladly welcome it. I thank the gentlelady for yielding. Mr. Cohen, in your sentencing statement to the court in December of last year, you said, I want to apologize to the people of the United States. You deserve to know the truth. Approximately a month later, BuzzFeed News ran a story that was the story in the country for a couple days. BuzzFeed story ran January 17th, 2019. On January 18th, your counsel went on TV and wouldn't confirm or deny the story. The next day, the special counsel's office did something that's never happened. Never happened. They said the description of specific statements to the special counsel's office and the characterization of documents and testimony obtained by this office regarding Michael Cohen's congressional testimony are not accurate. Why didn't your lawyer the day that he's on TV when this story is the biggest thing in the news in the country, why didn't he deny the BuzzFeed story? Because I didn't think it was his responsibility to do that. We are not the fact checkers for BuzzFeed. Mr. Connolly. Now, Mr. Cohen, I want to ask you about something that's not in your testimony and that so far has not been made public. In our committee staff search of documents provided by the White House that were otherwise redacted or already in the public, and I guess the White House thought that was funny, They made one mistake, the White House. There was an email from a special assistant to the president, to a deputy White House counsel, and the email is dated May 16, 2017, and it says, and I quote, POTUS, meaning the president, requested a meeting on Thursday with Michael Cohen and Jay Sekulow. Any idea what this might be about, end quote. Do you recall being asked to come to the White House on or around that time? With Mr. Sekolo, May of 2017. Off the top of my head, sir, I don't. Um, I recall being in the White House with Jay Sekolo, and it was in regard to the um, the documents, the document production, as well as my appearance before the House Select Intel. Um, but I'm not sure if that specifically. Well, that, that, but what I will do is I will check uh, all my records, and I'm more than happy to provide you with any documentation uh, or um, a response to this question. Well, that, that's you sort of touch on the, presumably the purpose of the discussion, at least among others. This occurred, this meeting uh, occurred just before your testimony before the Select Committee on Intelligence here in the House. Is that correct? I believe so, yes. Was that a topic of conversation with the president himself? If this is the specific instance that I was there with Mr. Sekulow, yes. So you had a conversation with the president of the United States about your impending testimony before the House Intelligence Committee. Is that correct? That's correct. What was the nature of that conversation? He wanted me to cooperate. He also wanted just to ensure by making the statement, and I said it in my testimony, there is no Russia, there is no collusion, um, there is no no, uh, deal. He goes, it's all a witch hunt. And he goes, this this stuff has to end. Did you take those comments to be suggestive of what might flavor your testimony? Sir, he's been saying that to me for many, many months. And at the end of the day, I knew exactly what he wanted me to say. And why was Mr. Sekolo in the meeting? 
because he was going to be representing Mr. Trump um, going forward as one of his personal attorneys in this matter. So it was sort of a handoff meeting? Correct. Um, in any way, final question, did the president in any way from your point of view coach you in terms of how to respond to questions or the content of your testimony before a House committee? Again, it's, it's a difficult answer because he doesn't tell you what he wants. What he does is, again, Michael, there's no Russia, there's no collusion, there's no involvement, there's no interference. I know what he means because I've been around him for so long. So if you're asking me whether or not that's the message that's staying on point, that's the party line that he created, that so many others are now touting, yes, that's the message that he wanted to reinforce. Mr. Raskin. Are, are you aware of anything that the president uh, has done at home or abroad that may have subjected him to or may subject him to extortion or blackmail? I am not, no. Okay. Um, are you aware of any videotapes that may be the subject of extortion or blackmail? I've heard about these tapes for a long time. I've had many people contact me over the years. Uh, I have no reason to believe that that tape exists. Why did Trump endeavor to hide his relationship with Felix Sater, and what was his relationship? Well, he certainly had a relationship. Felix was a partner in a company called Bayrock that was involved in the um, deal of the Trump Soho Hotel, uh, as well as, I believe, the Trump Fort Lauderdale project. Why did he want to distance himself? That's what Mr. Trump does. He distances himself when things go bad for someone. And at that point in time, it was going bad for Mr. Sater. You said you lied to Congress about Trump's negotiations to build uh, his Moscow Tower because he made it clear to you that he wanted you to lie. One of the reasons you knew this is because, quote, Mr. Trump's personal lawyers reviewed and edited my statement to Congress about the timing of the Moscow Tower negotiations before I gave it. So this is a pretty breathtaking claim, uh, and I just want to get to the facts here. Um, which specific lawyers reviewed and edited your statement to Congress on the Moscow Tower negotiations, and did they make any changes to your statement? There were changes made, um, additions. Uh, Jay Sekulow, for one. Were there changes about the timing, the question of— Gentlemen's time has expired. You may answer that question. There, there were uh, several changes that were made, including um, how we were going to handle that message. Yes. Mr. Grothman. But be that as it may, um, my first question concerns uh, your relationship with the court. Um, do you expect, um, I mean, right now I think you're, you're sentenced to three years, correct? That's correct. Do you expect any time uh, using this testimony, other testimony, after you get done doing whatever you're going to do this week, do you ever expect to go back and ask for any sort of reduction in sentence? Yes, there are ongoing investigations currently being conducted that have nothing to do with this committee or Congress that I am assisting in, and it is for the benefit of a Rule 35 motion, yes. Thank you so much. Uh, you suggested that the president sometimes communicates his wishes indirectly. Uh, for example, you said... Quote, Mr. Trump did not directly tell me to lie to Congress. That's not how he operates, end quote. Can you explain how he does this? Sure. It would be no different if I said, that's the nicest looking tie I've ever seen, isn't it? What are you going to do? Are you going to fight with him? The answer is no. So you say, yeah, it's the nicest looking tie I've ever seen. That's how he speaks. He doesn't give you questions. He doesn't give you orders. He speaks in a code. And I understand the code because I've been around him for a decade. And it's your impression that others who work for him understand the code as well? Most people, yes. Mr. Cohen, in November 2013, President Donald Trump testified under oath in a lawsuit related to the failed real estate project, Trump International Hotel and Tower in Fort Lauderdale. During the deposition, President Trump was asked about his knowledge of Felix Sater a Russian-born real estate developer and convicted member of the Russian mafia, who, according to press reports, pled guilty for his role in a 40 million stock manipulation scheme. And it's worth noting, as well publicized, the direct relationship between the Russian mafia and the Kremlin.
Over the years, President Trump was asked how many times he interacted with convicted Russian mobster Felix Sater. In 2013, President Trump testified that, quote, not many. If he were sitting in the room right now, I really wouldn't know what he looked like, unquote. Mr. Cohen, as you previously testified, isn't it true that President Trump knew convicted Russian mobster Felix Sater in 2013 when he made that statement? Yes. Isn't it true that because of Mr. Sater's relationship to the Trump Organization that he had an office in the Trump Tower? And on the 26th floor, Mr. Trump. And the 26th floor is important. Why? Because it's Mr. Trump's floor. So he had an office on the same floor as President Trump. In fact, his office, when he left, became my office. And isn't it also true that convicted Russian mobster Sater even had business cards indicating that he was a senior advisor to Donald Trump, as reported by The Washington Post? Yes. Did convicted Russian mobster Sater pay rent for his office? No, he did not. So, based on those facts, isn't it true that President Trump misled at best or worse, lied under oath? Yes. In December 2015, President Trump was asked again about his relationship to convicted Russian mobster Mr. Sater by a reporter for the Associated Press. He stated, quote, Felix Sater, boy, I have to even think about it, unquote. He added, quote, I'm not that familiar with him, unquote. Mr. Cohen, where would we find business records that explain the president's relationship to the convicted Russian mobster Felix Sater? Would those be in the Trump Organization's files? They'd be in the Trump Organization's files. They would be CCs to Bayrock, which was the name of Mr. Sater's company, um, I suspect on Mr. Sater's email address, possibly hard files in possession um, of Mr. Sater. And when you say in possession of the Trump Organization, where? It depends upon who the attorney was that was working on it. Now it would probably be um, in a box um, off-site. They have storage facility that they okay. put uh, old files. In, in addition to convicted Russian mobster Sater, do you know of any other ties to convicted or alleged mobsters President Trump may have? I am not aware. Is it true that many people with ties to Russia ultimately bought condos in Trump properties, usually for cash? And if so, how many are we talking? 10, 20? I'm not honestly, sir, I'm not aware of any. Um, you know, the statement that was, you're referring to, I believe, was made by either Eric or Don, and I, I don't agree with it. So are you aware of any cash purchases by Russian uh, oligarchs and family members of Trump properties? I'm not aware of that. I can tell you when you say cash, if you mean walking in with a satchel of rubles. Uh, the answer is, I've never seen that happen. I've never heard of it. I will tell you when we sold Mr. Trump's property in Palm Beach, the home for $95 million, it came in by wire. And that came from um, Mr. Rebolovyev's bank account. One other question. You also talked about President Trump doing negotiations throughout the campaign regarding uh, the Trump Tower in Moscow. Uh, was he directly involved in those nego negotiations? And if so, how do you know? Well, the answer is yes. And as it relates to negotiations, it was merely follow-ups as to what's currently happening, what, what's happening with Russia, meaning he wanted me to give him a status report. The problem with this is that the project never advanced because they were unable, Mr. Sater was unable to provide me with proof that somebody owned or controlled a piece of property that we can actually build on. Ms. Hill. So, Mr. Cohen, on January 22nd, 2018, just days after the Wall Street Journal broke the story that Mr. Cohen paid $130,000 to Stephanie Clifford to silence her during the 2016 presidential campaign, a nonprofit watchdog called Common Cause to file a complaint 
with the called Common Cause filed a complaint with the Department of Justice and FEC alleging the payment to Ms. Clifford may have represented an illegal in-kind contribution to the Trump campaign. I ask that their complaint be entered into the record. On February 13th, 2018, Mr. Cohen, you sent a statement to the reporters that said, quote, I used my own personal funds to facilitate a payment of $130,000 to Ms. Stephanie Clifford, and neither the Trump organization nor the Trump campaign was party to the transaction with Ms. Clifford, and neither reimbursed me for the payment, either directly or indirectly. Was the statement false? The statement is not false. I purposefully left out Mr. Trump individually from that statement. Okay. Uh, why did you say it that way? Because that's what was discussed to do between myself, Mr. Trump, and Alan Weisselberg. So it was carefully worded? Yes, ma'am. Great. Mr. Cohen, a, per a reporter for the magazine Vanity Fair has reported that she interviewed you the very next day on February 14th, 2018, about the payment and reimbursement. And she wrote, quote, last February 14th, I interviewed Cohen in his office about the statement he gave the FEC in which he said Trump didn't know about the stormy payment or reimburse him for it. Do you recall this meeting with the reporter? I do. The reporter also wrote, Trump called while I was there. I couldn't hear much, but he wanted to go over what the public messaging would be. Is that accurate? It is. Did the president call you while you were having a meeting with the reporter? Yes. Did the president call you to coordinate on public messaging about the payments to Ms. Clifford's in or around February 2018? Yes. What did the president ask or suggest that you say about the payments or reimbursements? He was not knowledgeable of these reimbursements and he wasn't knowledgeable of my actions. He asked you to say that? Yes, ma'am. Great. Uh, in addition to the personal check for $35,000 in July 2017, is there additional corroborating evidence that Mr. Trump, while a sitting president of the United States, directly reimbursed you hush money as part of a criminal scheme to violate campaign finance laws? There are 11 checks that I received for the year. Um, the reason why 11, because as I stated before, one had two checks. And you have copies of all of and those? I can get copies. I'd have to go to the bank. So we will get. be able to get copies of all 11 checks that Mr. Trump prov provided to you as part of this criminal scheme? It's either from his personal account, as what was demonstrated in the exhibit, or it would come from the um, Donald J. Trump account, the um, trust account. Mr. Sarbanes. I did want to go back to an earlier line of questioning regarding the preparation um, of your testimony before you came before the Intelligence Committee. You've talked about a meeting um, at the White House where the testimony was being reviewed. I think you said that there was at least one White House attorney, Jay Sekulow, um, who was there, and you acknowledged that there were some edits that were made to your testimony. Um, so on that topic, who, who at the White House reviewed your testimony? I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, the document was, was um, originally created by myself, uh -huh. um, along with my attorney at the time uh, from McDermott, Will and Emery, and there was a joint defense agreement, so the document circulated around. Um, I believe it was also reviewed by Abby Lowell, uh, who represents Ivanka and Jared Kushner. Um, Why did you provide um, the testimony to the White House? It was pursuant to the joint defense agreement that we were all operating under. Mm -hmm. What were the edits that came back substantively on the testimony? I'm, I'm sorry, I, I don't know, sorry, I'd have to take a look at the document. Uh -huh. Did you um, have a do you have a reaction to why there might not have been, in a sense, a protest to what was going to be false testimony that was going to be provided? No, sir, because the goal was to stay on message. It's just limit the relationship whatsoever with Russia. It was short. There's no Russian contacts. There's no Russian collusion. There's no Russian deals. That's, that's the message. That's the same message that existed well before my need to come and testify. So it's an example of, of where this idea, this, this mentality of you tow the line, whatever the storyline or the narrative of the day or the month or the year is going to be, 
you tow that line, whether it results in false testimony or not. I towed the party line, and I'm now suffering, and I'm going to continue to suffer for a while along with my family as a result of it, so yes. Mr. Welch. Uh, one of the most significant events in the last presidential campaign, of course, was the dump of emails stolen from the Democratic National Committee, dumped by WikiLeaks. Uh, Mr. Cohen, during your opening statement, uh, which was at, at the height of the election, you testified you were actually meeting with Donald Trump in July 2016, when Roger Stone happened to call and tell Mr. Trump that he had just spoken to Julian Assange. Is that correct? That is correct. All right. And you said that Mr. Assange told Mr. Trump about an upcoming, quoting your opening statement, quote, massive dump of emails that would damage Hillary Clinton's campaign. So I want to ask you about Roger Stone's phone call to the president. First of all, was that on speakerphone? Is that what you indicated? Yes. So Mr. Trump has a black speakerphone that sits on his desk. Right. Um, he uses it quite often because with all the number of phone calls he gets. Right. Now, in January of this year, 2019, the New York Times asked President Trump if he ever spoke to Roger Stone about these stolen emails. And President Trump answered, and I quote, no, I didn't. I never did. Was that statement by President Trump true? No, it's not accurate. And can you please describe for us, to the best of your recollection, you were present, exactly what Mr. Stone said to Mr. Trump? It was a short conversation, and he said, Mr. Trump, I just want to let you know that I just got off the phone with Julian Assange, and in a couple of days, there's going to be a massive dump of emails. That's going to severely hurt the Clinton campaign. And was Mr. Trump and Mr. Stone aware of where those emails came from? That I'm not aware of. Did Mr. Trump ever suggest then or later to call the FBI to report this breach? He never expressed that to me. Uh, did the president at that time or ever since, in your knowledge, uh, indicate an awareness that this conduct was wrong? No. The reason I ask is because on July 22nd, on the eve of the Democratic Convention, WikiLeaks published, as you know, the 20,000 uh, leaked internal DNC emails. Could your uh, meeting with Mr. Trump have been before that date? Yes. So Mr. Trump was aware of the upcoming dump before it actually happened? Yes. Right. And is there any record? Though, sir, I don't know whether he knew or not, and I don't believe he did what the sum and substance of the dump was going to be, only that there was going to be a dump of emails. And he was aware of that before the dump occurred, correct? Yes, sir. All right. And are there any records that would corroborate the day of this meeting, calendars perhaps? I'm not in possession, but I believe, again, this is part of the special counsel, and they probably best suited to um, corroborate that information. Was anyone else present uh, in the room during the call? I don't recall for this one, no, sir. Is there anyone else the committee should talk to about the president's knowledge of the, the WikiLeaks email dump? Well, um, again, when he called, uh, Rona Graf uh, yelled out to Mr. Trump, Rogers on line one, which was regular practice. And that's his assistant? That's his, yes. All right. And during a news conference on July 27th, 2016, then-candidate Trump publicly, publicly appealed uh, to Russia to hack Hillary Clinton's emails and make them public. He stated, and I quote, Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. Now, going back to Mr. Stone's phone call to the president, do you recall if Mr. Trump had knowledge of the WikiLeaks dump at the time of his direct appeal to Russia? I, I am not. But the call with Mr. Stone, you believe, was before yes. this 27th. Yes, I'm, I'm sorry. If you're t I, I thought you were talking about a different set of um, documents that got dumped. So I was in Mr. Trump's office. It was either July 18th or 19th. And, yes, he went ahead. I don't know if the 35,000 or 30,000 emails was what he was referring to. But okay. he certainly had knowledge. Norman. Have you ever been to Prague? 
I've never been to Prague. Never have. I've never been to the Czech Republic. Ms. Fear. And thank you, Mr. Cohen. On page five of your statement, you say, and I quote, you need to know that Mr. Trump's personal lawyers reviewed and edited my statement to Congress about the timing of the Moscow Tower negotiations. Who were those attorneys? Jay Sekulow, from the White House? Yes. Jay Sekulow, I believe Abby Lowell as well. And you have a copy of your original statement that you can provide to the committee? I can try to get that for you. All right, if you would do, though, do that. Um, the letter of intent for the Moscow Tower was in the fall of 2015, correct? Correct. Uh, was there an expiration date on that letter of intent? There was no expiration date. So it date. could technically still be in effect today? Oh, no, no, it's been terminated. It has been terminated? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Did Mr. Trump tell you to offer Vladimir Putin a free penthouse? No, ma'am. So that was that, that was Felix Sater. It was a marketing stunt that so, he spoke about. So Felix Sater had suggested to you that Mr. Trump offer a penthouse to Mr. Putin? Yes, because it would certainly drive up the price per square foot. No different than in any condo where they start listing celebrities that live in the property. In 2016, did you travel to Europe? Yes. Did you meet with um, persons associated with the Moscow Tower project? No. It was for personal? Or personal. My daughter was studying at Queen Mary in London. There is an elevator tape that has been referenced as a catch-and-kill product. Um, it was evidently of Mr. Trump and a woman Presumably, Mrs. Trump, is that correct? Are we talking about in Moscow or the, the Trump Tower elevator tape? There's, a, there's an elevator tape that went up for auction, ostensibly yes. in 2016. Is yes, I've heard, I've heard about this. And who is on that tape? It's Mr. Trump with Melania. And what happened in that tape? So the story goes that he um, uh, struck Melania while in that elevator because there's a camera inside, which I'm not so sure. Um, actually, I'm certain it's not true. I've heard about that tape for years. I've known four or five different people, including folks from AMI, um, who have So, But there was claimed, some tape that went up for auction, correct? I, I don't believe that auction was real, and I don't believe anybody— I don't believe Mr. Trump ever struck Mrs. Trump, ever. I don't believe— and are you aware of anyone purchasing that tape then? I don't believe it was ever So you never saw this tape? No, ma'am, and I know several people who went to go try to purchase it for catch-and-kill purpose. It doesn't exist. Right. Mr. Trump would never. In my opinion, it's, that's, that's not Good something to know. that he Good to know. Ms. Yeah. Kelly. Okay. Now let's talk about the reimbursement. According to federal prosecutors, and I quote, after the election, Cohen sought reimbursement for election-related expenses, including the $130,000 payment. Prosecutors stated that you, and I quote, presented an, execu an executive of the company with a copy of a bank statement reflecting the $130,000 wire transfer. Is that accurate? That is accurate. Do you still have a copy of that bank statement? Yes, it's actually made part of the exhibit. So you will provide it to the committee? Yes, ma'am. According to federal prosecutors, executives at the company then, and I quote, agreed to reimburse Cohen by adding 130000 and 50000 grossing up that amount to 360000 for tax purposes and adding a $60,000 bonus such that Cohen would be paid 420000 in total. Executives of the company decided to pay the 420000 in monthly installments of 35000 over the course of a year. Is that accurate? That is accurate. What was the purpose of grossing up the amounts, essentially doubling what you had paid to Mrs. Ms. Clifford and others? Because if you pay $130,000 and you live in New York where you have a 50% tax bracket, um, in order to get you 130 back, you have to have 260. Otherwise... My, if he gave me back 130, I would only, then I'd be out 65,000. What was the purpose of spreading the reimbursements to you over the 12 monthly installments? That was in order to hide what the payment was. I obviously wanted the money in one shot. I would have preferred it that way. But in order to be able to um, put it onto um, the books, Alan Weisselberg made the decision. Um, that it should be paid over the 12 months so that it would look like a retainer.
And did Mr. Trump know about this uh, reimbursement method? Oh, he knew about everything, yes. But continuing. First, uh, the Trump Tower. So you were negotiating for this. As you said, it was to be the tallest building in Europe. Um, in your guilty plea with the special counsel, you quote, say, uh, it, it quotes, Cohen asked individual one, is that President Trump? Yes. Okay. About the possibility of, of President Trump traveling to Russia in connection with the Moscow project and asked a senior campaign official about potential businesses travel, business travel to Russia. Uh, what, when did this conversation happen, do you recall? Early on in the campaign. And who was the campaign official? Corey Lewandowski. What, what did you discuss in this meeting? Possibility of which dates that Mr. Trump would have availability if, in fact, that we were going to go over to Russia to take a look at the project. Unfortun I'm sorry, sir. So go ahead. I'm, unfortunately, it never came to fruition because we were never successful in getting the first prong of what I needed, which was ownership or control over a piece of property. And until such time, there was no reason to come up with a date. But when I first received the information request to go to Russia, what I decided to do is I spoke to Mr. Trump about it. He told me to speak to Corey and see what dates might be available if I got the information I needed. So it stopped because of appearances, or, or did it stop because the parties decided not to pursue it? I'm so sorry, I don't understand your question. So why did the pursuit of the Trump Tower that Mr. Mr. Trump has now said, of course he pursued it because he thought he might be going back into the development business, why was the reason that the, the deal stopped? Because he won the presidency. Okay. So in that interim period of time, you must admit it looks troubling that now that we know what foreign influence was attempting to do, whether there was collusion or not, it certainly appears troubling that you were, Mr. Trump was part of this negotiation, and at the same time what we know, perhaps separately, that the Russians were engaged in our election. Well, I don't know about them being engaged in the election. I can only talk for myself. Here I would say to Mr. Trump, um, in response to his question, what's going on with Russia, I'm still waiting for documents. And then that night at a rally, he would turn around and do his battle cry of no Russia, no collusion, no involvement, witch hunt. Ms. Lawrence. Mr. Coyne, why do you feel or believe that the president is repeatedly attacking you? You are stating that you feel intimidated, asking us to protect you, following your cooperation with law enforcement. When you have access to 60-plus million people that follow you on social media and you have the ability within which to spark some action by individuals that follow, that follow him, and from his own words that he can walk down Fifth Avenue, shoot someone, and get away with it, it's never comfortable when the president of the United States— What do you think he can do to you? A lot. And it's not just him. It's those people that follow him in his rhetoric. What is a lot? I don't know. I don't walk with my wife if we go to a restaurant or we go somewhere. I don't walk with my children. I make them go before me because I'm, I have fear. And it's the same fear that I had before when he initially decided to drop that tweet in my cell phone. I receive some, and I'm sure you you'll understand. Mm -hmm. I receive some tweets. I receive some uh, Facebook Messenger, all sorts of social media attacks upon me, whether it's the private direct message that I've had to turn over to Secret Service because they are the most vile, disgusting statements that anyone can ever receive. And when it starts to affect your children, that's yes. when it really affects you. On January 20th, 2019, Mr. Giuliani called your father-in-law, quote, a criminal, and said that he may have ties to, to organized crime. Mr. Cohen, do you believe that the president, Mr. Giuliani, publicly targeted your father-in-law 
as an effort to intimidate you. Can you elaborate? Why is your father-in-law being pulled into this? I don't know the answer to that. My father-in-law was in the clothing business, um, came to this country because they made in the 1972-73 the expulsion of Jews from the Ukraine. He came here uh, to this country. He worked hard, and he's now enjoying his retirement. Never in my life did I think that Mr. Trump would do something so disgraceful. And he's attacking him because he knows I care about my family. And to hurt me, he's trying to hurt them. Interestingly enough, my father-in-law's biggest investments happen to be in a Trump property. So it just doesn't make any sense to me. The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. If you haven't yet, please give the podcast a five-star rating and review wherever you listen. If you haven't yet, please give the podcast a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to us and share the podcast on social media. Until next time, thanks for listening.